0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work?
1: And love. Oh, and love, he's got a real
2: chance now. Peter and love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin! Unknown goal from Ruddock! 4 oh, my break here for Kiwabia! Pannister
1: and Bruce in the queue again.
2: Bruce! Scores!
1: Goal leg! Hit leg! Hit no. leg over the
2: top! Get back! Now!
0: Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, and hasn't! No
2: Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's episode three of series nine. I'm Chris Skull. Joining me as always, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And a man as suave and sophisticated as Jeff Goldblum. It's Michael Marden
0: hello
1: we're not we're not going into Jurassic Park we're not, I, we're, yeah, I didn't no, say no, sorry. I never Jurassic said Jurassic Park. Park is not becoming a runner like Yuri Geller because they're very said, different things
2: I just said Jeff Goldblum I could have been referring to the fly I could have been refer- <laughs> well, in referring case, you to, you to his need to
1: talk. You, you need to not start with a reference to somebody that isn't 90s thank you very much Chris <laughs> I don't know what else he did in the 90s. Independence Day. He was yeah. arguably in the biggest two films of the 90s. Well, not arguably. He was in the yeah. biggest two films of the 90s, probably. Oh, yeah. Titanic
0: is the biggest.
2: Oh, Titanic, yeah. And yeah. I, I, I mean, that's a perfect example of chaos theory because who could have predicted that I would have said Jeff Goldblum at the start of this episode? Right. Let's
1: move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, all the lovely feedback on Phil Thompson, who is, um, you know, going straight into the Quickly Kevin Hall of Fame. Uh, If you want more of that episode, it is available on Patreon. But now, let's start this episode with the 90 o'clock news.
0: From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10, with
2: Chris Scull. Kevin Keegan lands Tasty Gig.
1: That's all we need, right? That's
2: all we need. It feels weird not finishing with and how Steve Froggen made his wife. But yeah. alas, we have all moved on. But yeah, unbelievable Kevin Keegan OBE news this week. Thank you to ASIC Stewart on Twitter, who pointed out to me this thing. 9th of September, guess who's hosting the Meat Management Industry Awards? You guessed it, it's Kevin Keegan. He's going to speak about mastering the barbecue and the psychology of taking first place. What? No. What? What the hell is this?
0: It's like something from Galactic Keegan. This is mad. <laughs>
2: Do you want more from the uh, press statement? Following a very successful online broadcast last year, the Meat Management Industry Awards makes a welcome return to an in-person event at the Hilton Birmingham Metropole Hotel on the 9th of September. Revealing the winners will be Kevin Keegan, the England footballing legend and former England manager, (laughs) what, who plays the top clubs, including Liverpool, Newcastle, Hamburg, and who knows a thing about winning a trophy or two. Now, I'm going to say, obviously,
1: I... He who has not hosted a ill-judged award ceremony cast the first stone. <laughs> but um I would say that Kevin Keegan's rate must be a lot higher than mine. I'm yeah. guessing. I'm I'm guessing at least twice my rate to do these kind of events. I wouldn't do the meat one obviously for ethical reasons. But um so they've got a they've got a good whack of money at the meat marketing
0: board, or <laughs> it's whatever the it's meat called.
2: Management in, the meat the management, meat management
0: industry. The meat management but, industry, sorry. Here's, here's the thing, okay. Sort of rate aside, let's assume money isn't an issue. You're still not picking Kevin Keegan, <laughs> are you? Like, <laughs> what? how does that come about? There's yeah, no, I, th- I think they've been given a list
1: of names for a certain rate. Yeah. Who, who else is on that list of names? It would be. I, I'd, I'd love to see who the comparables to Keegan are across the different genres. And I think once you've seen the name Kevin Keegan... It's very difficult to then go and choose, you know, Alistair Campbell or like
0: or, you know, or John Bishop.
1: Do you know what I mean? Because you and it's fucking Kevin Keegan. Do you
0: know what I mean? What's what's his sort of patter gonna be? You know, what's is he gonna get someone to write a few he's like Ben Partridge gonna come on and write some beef based jokes for them? <laughs> I wonder whether
1: Keegan's got a patter.
0: Do you a know beef, what I a mean? beef patter. A
1: Beef pater,
0: like, that should have got more, Chris. Yeah, I'd make a
2: gag like that to a vegetarian.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, Kevin Keegan, does he have a patter? <laughs> I don't mean a father, I mean, what <laughs> um, <Like, like, laughs> would he go? Would he segue into some stories about Terry McDermott quite easily? Do you know what I mean? Like. Has he got a 10 minutes that he wheels out at these
0: events? I I think he's got stock anecdotes and then the joining tissue will be a really clumsy line about, and you know one thing about Terry McDermott, and then it'll be a line that sort of is vaguely about meat or beef. That does not stand yeah. up to interrogation in terms yeah, yeah. of its relevance. I'm of talking about my games against St. Etienne. <laughs> Either,
1: as we discussed on the Patreon episode, he sees as one of his biggest three moments of his
2: career. <laughs> What's the name of the event? The Meat Management Industry Awards. I'm Just look at the conference room. It's massive. It's like Wembley <laughs> Arena. Well, of course it is. They've
1: afforded Kevin Keegan. Like they've got a, they're not doing it to 50 people, are they? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I I thought he was doing it as a favour, to be honest. I thought there's no. favour? Well, he must know someone in meat management. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No. How much for money the is this?
1: Absolute cheddar.
2: <laughs> Look at this. I've just sent you a picture of the room he's doing. It's, it's enormous. Wow.
1: Right. Well, we'll leave that there. Do let us know if you've ever seen Kevin Keegan at an event and what he does. It's a very old photo of Kevin Keegan as well on the meat management. Not that old, actually. Not like that implied he was in his Liverpool heyday. But like, it's on superstars. Sure <laughs> <laughs> we have the? Uh, if you've got any nineties o'clock news, do get in touch. But now it is um, the uh, electronic postbag.
2: I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic postbag.
3: You've got mail.
1: So this is from Tom Solan. Hello. Remember in the 90s when players always had hernias and have to have two months off for an operation? doesn't happen anymore. Looking at this, and it's a a list of the injuries, there isn't a single player with a hernia injury. What's going on? Advancements in medical science, better diets, uh, just calling them something else. I literally can't sleep till i found out. Please tell me, what has happened to hernias? (laughs) All the best, Tom Solon. (laughs) Do you think hernia, the discussion of hernias has moved on? It is a classic 90s injury, though, the hernia.
2: Were people just not doing core exercises in the 90s? Yeah, there
1: wasn't enough core going on. Maybe there wasn't enough core. Yeah,
2: they're just running. Because I remember um, at West Ham, like when I've read biographies of like, ex-West Ham players, the preseason training was like, go on a massive run.
1: Yeah. like There's yeah. no, there's no science a- to it.
2: No, no one's going, uh, oh, you need a really strong core. So maybe just yeah. everyone just had really weak, like, Stomach muscles, yeah, yeah. That that's and a lot I, of I, I That that's a good theory. All good
1: theories. Do get in touch if you're a uh, physio. Um, my this is from Mark Tanner. Hi, gents. Big fan of the show uh, since discovering at some point during one of the lockdowns last year. As a South End fan, I'm possibly in a limited category of listeners. We're limited in number among the general population, but I wanted to drop you uh, an email about the lower league misheard chant to add to your collection. A few years ago, a mate of mine had started um, to attend the odd game at Fortress Roots Hall, albeit he wasn't an avid fan. Southend were at the time a slightly better team than we are now, but our goalkeeper, Darrell Flahaven was one of our better players, and he was having a particularly good match and was deservedly receiving plaudits from the crowd. Shortly after another save and more chanting from the crowd, my mate turned to me and said pensively, I think he's good, but I'm not sure he's international standard. Wasn't entirely sure what he had said or what he was talking about, so I replied, "Er." Uh, to which he repeated, "I think he's good, but I'm not sure he's international standard." I queried who he was talking about, and he replied, "The keeper. He's good, but I don't think he's good enough to play international level." I agreed with him on that because um, he wasn't international quality. After a few minutes, where he was possibly reflecting on my agreement with his comment and struggling to see why the South End fans rated Flahaven so high, he again turned to me, and said. Why do Southend's fans think he's good enough to be an international? I responded that I didn't think anything, anyone did think he was that good. He, he said, so why do they keep singing Daryl for Ireland? And it made sense. For the last 10 minutes, he'd misheard Daryl for Haven as Daryl for Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many matches he's attended with me without asking me this, but he'd been thinking about Daryl's international potential career for quite some time. <laughs> I I think there's so many of these lower league chants that you totally miss here. Because I don't really know how they start anyway. So there's so many of them. Have you have you ever got one going? Or have you ever, like, when you get on the ground level, do you know what I mean? Everyone yeah. seems to know them except you.
2: I don't know how they happen. Like, someone sometimes someone must write the chants. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is the process?
0: Pre-internet like how's how are you spreading the word that oh by the way i've um i've amalgamated this pop song from the 80s with this yeah. player like spread yeah. the word are they handing out like leaflets is there a program is there a do fanzine you, like- do you remember in the 90s
1: man city had a kind of version of wonderwall about georgie king cladsey and it was like yeah all the runs that georgie makes are winding or something like that right and you're like How's that started? Yeah. Like, how has the whole crowd learnt the reworded lyrics to Wonderwall <laughs> about Georgie King Cladsey? It makes no sense. Like,
2: you almost want to hand him out on a flyer, don't you? How do you get that yeah.
1: information around? A fanzine? Like, were the fanzines printing alternate chants, like, kind of,
2: like the kind of hymn book at a wedding? Here's an idea that I've often had. Football clubs on their official YouTube channels should have, like, a designated choir and football fans can send in the lyrics that they want for the, the chants that they want to introduce. The choir can then sing these lyrics, like the crowd, like get get 20 people. They sing the chant. There it is on YouTube. If you like it, it goes a bit viral. The crowd then sings it next game. So, so you kind of formalise the process by which new chants are introduced. Like a kind of... Um, like X Factor for chance. Yeah, like an X Factor for
1: chance. I just... Do you know what I'm going to say? I don't really like football chants. There you go. There's... <laughs> There's, there's nothing no. shot across the bows. I don't think I've ever laughed at a football chant. Oh yeah. No, there's nothing funny about football chants in my opinion. <laughs> and anyone that thinks, anyone that tells, says, "I heard a funny football chant," I always, before they've said it, I think, "Oh fuck,
2: I don't want to have this Do conversation." You know what? Even the most base <laughs> football chant, I enjoy, like just going, of "Ah, your shit, ah." Like, what's not to love? What's not to love,
0: Michael? I think the only football chant that's made me laugh is Beef Alert. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you need to just drop Beef Alert into uh, the stadium at London State? I need to get that in there this season. I'll find a way. Okay. If we want to dedicate some time to this, because I've just been quietly clicking around the meat management industry oh, okay. website. Okay. And I've discovered an interview with Kevin Keegan on why he's doing the meat management industry awards. Oh, my word. Very much the mother load. Can I read yes. you? Is it, is it, he's interviewed about the whole Is this a meat. video? or no, it's just a, a transcribed a, interview. Transcribed in, in interview. Kevin, what attracted you to hosting the Meat Management Industry Awards? Award nights are such good fun because people are being selected and rewarded for what they've done that year. In football, that's what we're all about. Trying to win and appreciating, if you come second, how good the people who beat you are. So I always enjoy awards nights because every industry is different. But people celebrate and there's always a good atmosphere. So He hasn't really the I, subject I'm
1: going to say that's not the reason he's doing it
2: <laughs> um here's this question if I was doing an interview with Kevin Keegan about meat management I would never ask him this next question what's your view of the UK meat industry's performance during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> Kevin it's cope very well with it you keep hearing that there are going to be problems and reading things in the papers that some suppliers are going to be affected, but it seems the meat industry always survives. And sometimes you wonder how it keeps reinventing itself. We're living in times when people are looking at meat and diet, and every industry is under scrutiny. But from what I gather, the meat industry has coped with the pandemic very well and seems to be coming out the other side even stronger. I didn't know the meat industry was
1: reinventing itself. So, um, could I ask a question? Yeah. Has this interview taken place?
2: <laughs> no. Uh, no. He's, they've written it and gone, Can you just check Kevin's happy with us publishing this And saying he said it Yeah. If I was doing an interview with Kevin Keegan about meat management I would ask him this question Tell us about your favourite cut of meat <laughs> Kevin <laughs> I'm a steak man and I like to barbecue If anyone has supported the meat industry this year It's been my family with the good weather, we had a run of about five barbecues in six days. We have a good local butcher, so we support him and get meat cut for the barbecue. I would say the steak is my favourite, but I like a lamb chop and a sausage on the barbecue. Yeah, Kevin Keegan I
0: did definitely not do that interview. In it. Do
1: you not think? Do you not think Kevin Keegan's had five barbecues in six days? I, I don't, yeah. that's, that's when I bought into it, because I was like, you're not going to put that in his mouth. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to put the claim... Should we, just, should we just write, he's had five barbecues in six days?
2: George, uh, I have a few little highlights. Do you consider yep. yourself to be a good cook? My wife Jean does all the cooking. I'm just the barbecue man. They don't trust me with anything else. Uh, you definitely asked this question. Have footballers' diets changed much since your playing days? Diets have changed massively. At the start of my career back in the late 60s and early 70s, we used to have a steak before the match and sometimes chips. I think the interview might have taken place. Yeah. And there's some footballing questions in there. Uh, maybe yep. maybe like, we will keep a bit back maybe. Well, we can do more on this meat management industry. Yep.
1: Now, um, if you enjoyed our discussion of Kevin Keegan, we do uh, review his clip of uh, Superstars when he fell off the bike in the latest Patreon-only episode. Plus, you can have 15 minutes more of this and every episode. Go over to patreon.com forward slash Kevin. Well, we didn't expect <laughs> such a such a meaty Kevin Keegan discussion. If you've seen Kevin Keegan hosting awards uh, or have a follow-up to any of the things we've discussed, this is how to get in touch.
2: Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin, and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com.
1: Now, each series, I like us to interview someone who supports a lower league club, mainly to make Michael and Chris feel bad about the choices they've made in their lives. How are you feeling about the choices you made in your lives, guys? (laughs) Well, I
2: do like the implication that West Ham are a big club, which I guess we are now. (laughs) Uh, uh, anything, I feel pride. Thanks. Is that a compliment?
1: This is a uh, brilliant uh, love letter to the lower leagues from the amazing Caroline Barker. Our guest today is a host of Five Live, BBC World Service, Sky Sports, something called the Totally Football Show. She is a Chelmsford City fan, maybe the country's foremost expert on non-league football. But most importantly, she was my favourite guest when I used to host Fighting Talk. Welcome, Caroline Barker. Hello.
3: Hello and thank you, and that was lovely. But what is it about anyone when they say Sky Sports? Like, it completely changes (laughs) from everything else. World Service, Five Live, Sky Sports.
1: (laughs) I, I just felt I came alive. I, he did. I, yeah, that was the real me. You're
3: live. That's
1: what you have said. <laughs> it's it live. You, do you adjust to the way you host for Sky Sports and BBC World Service?
3: Oh, do you know what? Because it's been so relaxed, particularly at, at Sky during lockdown, there's not many people in, and we just eat food and watch football. So you do that whole thing, you know, like halfway through when, when they're saying, Are you going back on air? You just realise you kind of, I call it the Delbert position for those not able to see this, which is my dad, Derek. When he watches football, you know, he's completely horizontal. And it's so that he can catch the food... When it's dripping down into his beard, and just kind of tuck it back up and inhale it again. So that's the best position to watch football. So that's what I'm used to, and how I'm used to watching football. So I find myself doing that, Sky, and then I can just hear my mum saying, "Right, stomach in, shoulders back, bottom back to the sofa, and and sit up straight." And that's kind of how I have to do world service. When I did world service, the very first weekend, the editor there said to me, "Now, just imagine you've got two outfits. You have your outfit you wear at home." I thought he doesn't know what outfits I wear at home, but yes, my outfit wear. and then you have your outfit when you're power dressing at work with your suit so put your suit on and present the world service of course within three minutes I was like proper chompsing it up to uh, the people (laughs) of the world that's
1: that's that's the thing with like I think I mean I think with podcasts like um you relax it's very easy to relax I mean I'm I'm literally sat at my kitchen table when I used to do xfm I used to stand up because I felt it gave me more energy
3: yeah. I, when I'm commentating, I always stand up because I think otherwise you do feel a bit, particularly if you're having to do it, when they call it, they call it off tube. So when you're doing it, which is ridiculous. Are there still tubes in the back of a TV? I don't know. And I take there it There are it the BBC,
1: mate, with the money they're losing.
3: So they call it off tube. Yet, so I have to stand up and imagine it. Otherwise, again, you do feel that kind of, oh, I'll just have, you know pack it a Haribo, yeah. consume a couple of bars of chocolate and watch some sport and talk about it. So you've got to be up on your toes.
2: Standing up in, in a gantry at some of those lower league grounds, they're pretty rickety constructions, right? Isn't that not dangerous? Are Forever telling me to sit
3: down. Yeah, they don't like, they don't like me standing. But you have to, right? Because you're in that privileged position of actually being there. So you've got to in, enjoy it and give yourself the best possible chance of enjoying it. And that is my other problem. Like my my world doesn't revolve around food, but it does, right? And um, particularly some of the the big Premier League grounds I used to get to go to. They put on a full-on lunch and I'm sure it's deliberate. I'm sure it's deli- It's like happy juice, isn't it? You know, they, they give you as much as they possibly can. So you're lulled into that Sunday afternoon feeling. So you just enjoy the experience because I've had two steak pies. <laughs> I've had some chips covered in some, you know, cheesy stuff or whatever that might be. I, I've had that. I've enjoyed that. I'm thinking ahead to half time when they're going to bring something else up. So, oh, and I get to watch football as well and talk about it at the same time. So I, I'm sure it's a deliberate ploy. When you get to some grounds, and um, particularly some non-league grounds I've been to, actually it's even better because then you get the real dirty burgers. So you can stand up at the back of the gantry, wherever it might be. And and you're right, I've been in some, some brilliant non-league grounds. I remember going to, I think it was Corinthian Casuals, and I'm sorry, Corinthian Casuals fans, if it wasn't. But I remember it was... All, it was all a, three of you. Oh, there were more than that. <laughs> uh it was a hideous <laughs> night but i'm pretty sure we sheltered from the rain in a bus shelter an actual bus shelter i think it was Corinthian casuals but anyway it, and and that was like one of my first memories of of going to watch an on league football team and so that there are or there were a, a whole variety of different grounds that you could go to. But it's when you got one big, fat, dirty burger in one hand with the onions and, you know, two litres of some sort of oil dripping out of it and chips in the other, and you've got your friends around you, your family around you, and you're watching football or barely able to watch it because the rain's coming horizontal at you. I mean, that's, that's what it's about, right? That's where you go. I'd
1: say what was that- the question? <laughs> <laughs> is, that how, is that how every answer is going to yeah. end <laughs> Yeah, yeah. well
3: non-league non-league football.
1: non-league well uh, do you know what we will come we will come back to non-league football we always like to start I mean you're going to have so many answers to this but we always have to say have you met a 90s footballer but you must have met hundreds of them
3: been very lucky to meet a, a load of 90s footballers and shared many a cheap baguette and got a coffee and tea in and around in for them, and and had some some great times on tournaments as well. That the beauty of working for someone like Five Live or World Services, you get to go kind of all over the world following your sport. So I've been at at the Euros and shared good times with Alan Shearer, Ian Wright. I've I've done what's the that like Shearer. when
1: it's when it's not when you're not broadcasting. Is it oh, they're fun? still broadcasting.
3: <laughs> <laughs> are they? Are they fun to hang out with? Yeah, they are. Just like you'd, you'd imagine them on on telly, but just maybe a little bit cheekier. Um, yeah, and and take it to a, another level. I just really welcoming and people like Chris Sutton. Again, you know, you can feel a little bit like a fish out out of water because as much as I love non-league football and kind of that's where I've come from. No one in my family was involved in journalism or sports journalism or professional sport. And so grafting and coming up and working at BBC Essex and going to all the the local non-league teams here and and doing my um, qualifications and and working your way through, I just didn't come across these. Although although we had um, at Chelmsford, we had Paul Parker as our manager. Actually, it was just into the 2000s. We'll count um, it. We'll have,
0: uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll have it.
3: We'll have it. And and you know that we're a sleeping giant. So of we course. had Paul Parker, so a proper proper nineties footballer in Paul Parker, and he actually he brought Manchester United down for a friendly. So that was kind of his oh, wow. tick box. There was one thing which I don't like to brag. I mean, who wouldn't brag about being chief executive non-league football club? But when I was involved with Chelmsford at, in, in the boardroom, we, we when we were interviewing managers, we said, "So who can you bring down for a friendly?" And and that was kind of one of was the things. One I of the things
1: when you're interviewing your yeah. manager,
3: who can yeah. you bring for a friendly? Yeah. Not from me. That didn't come from me, and I I didn't. I was obviously not old enough to interview Paul Parker for a job. I was still yeah. at school. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you got to think about, right? So, say you've got two brilliant managers who are talking about uh, the kids that they can bring through and what they can bring to the the club. If someone's going to turn around to you and say, "I can bring," X, Y, and Z Premier League sides, particularly... So you're in Chelmsford. If they could bring West Ham down or Spurs down, like imagine the gate that you'd get. Imagine yeah. how that would set you up for the season financially. But
2: is, is that how it works? A manager no. just goes... I mean, that, oh,
3: that's not the be-all and end-all,
2: <laughs> nah. But, no, but can a manager just ring up? <laughs> no. Who does he ring up at Tottenham? Who is he ringing up? How does that even... The mechanics of that are mind-blowing.
3: You have to do it a year in advance as well, right? Because um, I, I remember leaning on a few people that I knew at Spurs once, and say, is there any chance? Just anyone. Can we have your walking football team come down and play us? Um, Who who would come and play us? But it it, it is, oh, sorry, you're you're kind of like six months out.
1: Now, you support Chelmsford City. I do. How did that happen? (laughs) Your dad is a fan, presumably, then, you've said already. Did you consciously remember making that decision to support Chelmsford City?
3: My mum was very ill when she had me. So she was really ill and she was in hospital for, for a few months whilst having me. So I was released, free, Ooh. happy as Larry as a baby. And so, but my dad religiously was down to the football with my brothers every weekend. So the eldest the four are a lot older than me. And then I was taken along to watch Chelmsford, strapped to the back of the barn. So we had this brilliant, oh, there was the main stand, which was this uh, phenomenal, I think it's 1200 seater wooden stand. Yeah. And then opposite that was the barn, which was just this curved tin roof along the whole strip of it and that's where I was put in my baby sleeper attached to a hook at the back of it whilst they were all there cheering so oh
2: wow
3: however long I was a Chelmsford fan my dad was the key holder what do you mean
2: what's a key holder holds the keys to the ground oh everything
3: it's not like he can run his sheep through the city (laughs) or good just clearing that up Yeah, he, so he used to go and uh, unlock it on a, a Saturday if the alarm went off. A bit like the caretaker, but he did right. it out of love for the yeah. for the football club. So he's so got I, a
1: set of keys at home that uh, open. Oh, don't
3: ask him to find them. Because you know what? He he used to make us all as kids as well. Um, at one of our first toys, he'd make a piece of wood and put a load of locks on it with keys to undo. So I'm sure the, the keys to the old New Rittle Street ground are somewhere being used <laughs> as a... <laughs> Slightly dangerous toy
2: here's here's a question I genuinely want to know the answer for how yeah. many How many keys are there for a football ground so when your dad has got the keys, are we talking like is it one big key? We ask that of every guest, but this is the first time <laughs> i'm hopeful that <laughs> Is it one key yeah. to like the gate, or is there like hundreds of keys for everything?
3: It was a sizable bunch. I mean, I imagine in the early days, if you put the keys on one side of his handlebars and me on the other, that probably would have balanced it up <laughs> because there was the there was a big wall that went round the outside of the, the football ground at one uh, section of it, which had then a huge wooden door in it. So that had a proper big key in it with a lintel above it that I can still see now. Had CCFC in claret on it. That was beautiful. And that's in someone's garden somewhere. We haven't yet been able to locate that, but that is somewhere. Uh, and then there were the, the the keys that let you into all the gates. So the actual gates, the physical gates that you'd go through as a fan. Then there were keys that would let you into the clubhouse area. Wow. And it was a huge, big stand. And, you know, it was shocking what happened and has happened to so many, particularly non-league football grounds over the years and, and why there isn't covenants or, or more covenants put on football grounds. They are the single greatest asset for, for football clubs and also for the community when you see how yeah. much work goes on and through. So this was this was a beautiful old ground and it had that, that one huge stand alongside it. So there would be keys to get into everything. So he'd be the key holder. We'd go down on a Saturday morning before the games were due to start and we'd unlock every key and he'd take me in and like my earliest memories he'd sit me on the bar in the in the social club area under the big stand he'd pour me a lemonade and sit me there with that whilst he just did some mopping up and cleaning round oh, and wow. then my job was to go up into the main stand with a like a mucky old cloth and just clean every seat every wooden seat for oh, wow. and get the cushions ready
1: what were the cushions ready for for the for the, for the
2: executives
3: oh no you could buy it. i don't know how much it was but you could rent a cushion <laughs> for the game <laughs> Oh, my dad has got some right somewhere he's got some somewhere but um there, were, there was a, a guy that I only know um he's probably sadly passed away by now he was only ever known as cushion thrower so when the <laughs> when the game got really bad or the referee and I don't condone this at all well the referee who had a stinker they'd all be going cushion thrower cushion like he would lob the cushion down onto the pitch <laughs> So if they were really bad and there were, you know, we had particularly during the nineties, we had, you know, Roy McDonough, No, used to call him Roy Uh, McDonough. He was a, he was a a decent player, was our manager, but he's the only manager I've ever known who played himself, scored a goal and was booed.
0: (laughs) Cushions cushions
3: thrown during his his reign. I remember that. So I used to clean every, every one of those seats in the stand and polish them up and just sit there. And you'll all know that. I hope you've all had that feeling before that minute when you, you walk up any steps and you see the pitch for the yeah. first time and you just go, oh, wow. And it was like that every Saturday morning. Or, or if I was lucky enough to come home from school and we'd have it was Monday night under the lights at New Ittle Street, it was gorgeous. And you'd get there early. No how early said. you
1: get in there?
3: I mean, the day before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Monday night, so I, don't, I don't know how early we used to get there. Monday, Monday probably, you know, Monday we just really used to go as fans because yeah. someone else would be there during the day and, you know, the the. Someone from the club would be there during the day. But Saturday mornings, oh, I'd definitely be cycling down there before whatever the T V programme would have watched. It would have been on telly. Philip Go- Schofield, would it? Yeah, see. Definitely I would have had to have missed that. So, you know, that is how seriously I took my cleaning of those. <laughs> you
1: willing to miss going live. That is a big you
3: don't do that lightly. You don't and, do and that lightly. So were you
1: there when like the team are turning up
2: and like
3: Oh, obsessed! I was totally obsessed with Mitchell's. What an exciting
2: childhood! That yeah, so exciting.
3: And and it was the, you know, that those moments that bond you with your your family, right? And and just sharing that. And they used to call me Paige the Oracle because it was it was kind of those times when you wouldn't be able to just go Google it. I mean, yeah. I think probably only was it late nineties we had Ask Jeeves, wasn't it, or, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. They used because I just used to. Take and absorb the programmes completely. So I've got um, and the non-league directory. So I've got you won't be able to obviously see these, but we had these Tony Williams. I think he still does them. They're still brought out. The non-league club directory used to come out every year. So this is I've got this one from 1992, and in it would list all the non-league clubs. Now for better order, and then have a little bit of something about them. How far down the pyramid is that going? Uh, This one went down to because they got bigger, they expanded. Um, although this one does say the latest and the best in it. So <laughs> they us go down to Lancashire's challenge trophy. I mean, Eastern floodlit competition, 1991 oh, wow. to list some of the fixtures, but the, the bigger, the club, you knew you were bigger cause you'd get a little photo at the top oh, nice. and then you'd have a little bit about it. And they'd also do a little indent on it, which would say about your program and how much it would cost. So the claret would cost you 50 P for 36 pages. Uh, had a rating in there. They'd give each program a little rating as well. What was yours? Uh, our rating is 23. Oh, this is like top trumps, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a genius, Josh.
1: <laughs> non-league program, top trumps.
3: Well, I could. I could cut those out. I mean, it'd be sacrilege, clearly, to cut yeah. out the non-league directory from 1992. I could cut those out, blow them up, and we could play top trumps. I mean, if you'd like, I could pick a random... Pa- now you've got lives to get to.
1: <laughs> How low to. Does that go down to, like, Newton Abbott? Would they be in there?
3: Um, I don't, I've got to go to the back now and look for Newton Abbott. Right. Okay. No. Newton. Eycliffe.
1: Oh, so God. close.
3: Page 834. Hey, I'm that, that's t- really round, <laughs> round. And when
1: that's you look pages. at that book, because when I, I look at, it. say, an old magazine that I had as a child, yeah. uh, I can remember it. And then when I see it, do you know what I mean? When you look at that book, can you remember bits of that nineteen ninety two non league?
3: My my job was always ahead of away games mm. to prepare for my dad or my brothers, which one was driving. The addresses because it had the addresses of each uh, club in here as well, um, and sometimes some local information on the local radio station to tune into on the way. So my job was initially to find the address of the club, then yeah. get a map um, and work out how we get there. As it progressed, I think you could print off like AA route trips and stuff so you'd have yeah, like reams yeah. and reams of but barely so, fading so you out were the navigator I oh, was total navigator couldn't do it as we were actually driving because i'd vomit but uh, i'd prepare it in time so this was this was gold dust yeah how to get to these grounds and again they were the they were the kind of like real formative years because not only would you have that time at the ground with your brothers i mean my brothers being so much older than me you know, out on the town and enjoying their lives when I was growing up and, and younger. I saw loads of them, but one of my brothers had like a, a heavy metal rock band. And so he was off doing his thing and, and they all had jobs and, and stuff. So not just being at the game with them, but that journey to the game with them and hearing, you know, slightly risque jokes and feeling like you were a grown up was yeah. all of that. So. Yeah, I remember all sections out out of these. But I was flicking back through this one, so this was from '92, and just thinking some of the clubs that we had, Russian and Diamonds, who are no longer uh, that they've reformed, thankfully. Yeah, they were a huge under Doctor Martin's. He they built were a them, huge I mean, deal, Rush and Diamonds. Oh, an amazing stadium. We're all envious of of what it was, and then they would go pop and and the fans would build them back fisher athletic gloucester dartford crawley creepy crawley creepy crawley so i remember all the songs up the leg of your drawers <laughs> <laughs> We used to sing uh and vs so were rugby you into all, in. all
1: of the non-league at that point then how would you follow other non-league games
3: so it was normally the the greenen which was the paper that would come out um i think that must come out before the non-league paper so those sorts of things and and it just, my dad would ask me loads of questions about it. So I just consumed it. Yeah. And you would, and I'd also have to sit there watching sort of CFAX for it to flick over to our page. I think we were like 600 and.
2: Yeah, I, I could probably this. remember There's it. A lot of waiting around, surely. <laughs> yeah. Days yeah. of your life lost. Oh, and if you CFAX, had to pop like
3: to, to the turn. loo and you missed it, I like, can imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that as it rolled over. Um, so, you know, you did, by osmosis, you picked, you picked loads of stuff up. And I think that's that's really served me well in that I've just always loved lower league football and a number of the teams have gone through and up into, onto, yeah. some say it bigger and better things. No, sure. here,
2: here's, the, here's the thing I want to know though, right? Yeah. So you go into a lot of non-league football. At some point, you're surely going to see a top flight game. And it's part of you not thinking, this is better.
3: Yeah, uh Farnborough 7 Chelmsford 6. You're right. That was <laughs> that was the turning point for me? You know, the good thing the brilliant thing about that game is uh someone else. You never have full names for people you go to football, right? Yeah. So Early Ed was always called Early Ed because he was always late, right? So when we got I think when we got our sixth goal and it was full time, he was like celebrating on the way home and uh, What was the order you know, of the 7-6? Oh, did you know? I, oh, no, I no, can't no, remember. No, goal I know goal, but... it, must, it must have gone seven five. It must have gone seven five or something, and we got it back to seven six. But early Ed had missed the first goal, so he was, you know, one of those draws where you've come back and it feels like the best win of your life.
1: Yeah. So he thought it ended six all.
3: Yeah, and we all thought he was taking a piss, <laughs> something royally on the way home, and he wasn't. He genuinely <laughs> thought it finished six all. Um, I get asked that a lot, right? And I think you know. A couple of my brothers have got season ticket uh, season ticket holders at Spurs, and that's sort of the natural transition in this area, You're either a Spurs or a West Ham fan. But for me, my I've always had a chance for season ticket. If I've had a free Saturday, which is such a rare thing working in sport, I will go and watch Chelmsford. So I have other teams that I like because of people I've met, games that I've seen. But it will always be my team. Because there's, there's always that little glimmer, right? There's always that glimmer that it could happen and your team yeah. could go up and through. And it, it was proper sh- shitty in the days when they used to elect teams to the Football League. We should have gone up time and time again. I and read, now we can't do
1: it. With, when they used to elect teams to the Football League, I read that yeah. Chelmsford applied 17 times and rejected.
3: Yeah. Apparently, we used to pay a lot more money, before my time, a lot more money than teams in the football league to our players and they just didn't want us to go up. So if you're elected, why would you vote for a team to come up that's paying their players more that's likely going to yeah. beat you? So yeah. it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And time and time again, like when the barn the barn went in the storm of eighty seven was it or eighty eight? In in the big storm. So the barn's um, and we the
1: stand that you were a you first went to?
3: Yeah, and and we were gonna turn the pitch round and we were going to be in the football league within a year and you know it never happened and the ground got sold from under us and the developers come in. But it's that it might happen. It might be next year. Of course, what's the point of football? Totally. That's that's the point of it.
2: Also, like Chelmsford are one of the few clubs I'm aware of where they got refused a promotion because of a problem with the ground. In 98, I think you should have been promoted. You yeah. didn't have enough seating. What's that like as a fan? That must be infuriating. As someone
3: that has sat through many a ground grading committee, I can tell you... <laughs> Rules are in place for a good reason, right? <laughs> if there is not the proper space between your dugouts, then you won't be allowed up. Uh, the real stiffener with that, with the seating technicality, or however they phrased it, was that the team we were ground sharing with, Bill Ricky, were promoted in the same season. What? Uh, yeah, I, it was... Pfft proper nonsense, but you know, we got promoted a year later or two years later, and it happened. But it just felt like everything was against us at the time. So we were nomadic. We had to go and play at Malden, and then and then Billericay. And you know, seeing over the years, teams come in and go above you, or get the big money come in and go above you. I always think a football club should be sustainable, right? And and yeah, that that sucks. But I'd rather have a sustainable football club that that gets there eventually and stays there than one that can keeps yo-yoing up and through i
1: felt during the lockdown mm. that i've i've become less and less interested with football on tv during the lockdown it's it's held far less interest for me than it ever has the premier league but i've missed going to see plymouth far more than i it's not like i was going a lot because obviously i live in london but i've mm. missed it far more and i just think that it's that human contact of the lower league that is a completely different... I know Plymouth are League One, but it's still, you know, comparatively we're probably closer to Chelmsford City than we are to West Ham. And I'd say, uh, you know, I say that as a very humble (laughs) thing.
3: But like... oh, we are on the up. We are are (laughs) a sleeping giant.
1: (laughs) Obviously. I I say that mainly because of the great work David Moyes has done. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. But I I think for the first time in my life, I've realised that the thing I like about Plymouth it, were we to get to the Premier League, might disappear, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't want that. But there's an element of, I love the fact that you get to go to Crawley away and it's an yeah. experience, rather than going to the Emirates or something like that.
3: Yeah, I. Uh, and having said I want a sustainable f- football club that goes up and, and stays there and is here for many generations, if you said to me now, and God love my dad, I would just love, I would love to see my club in the Football League just for him because yeah. he's not seen it and he's been there and he's held the keys. You know, he, he's he been in those in those moments. He's seen us lift the Essex Senior Trophy, which is one of those gorgeous, huge trophies. He's seen those things. He's seen us get into the first round of the FA Cup and seen us beat Colchester United in the FA Cup, which which was huge moments. He's been carried out on a stretcher when I think there were, I don't know, how many thousand were in New Ritual Street watching us play Ipswich. He's seen those big games, but to say we were in the Football League, I absolutely appreciate what, what you're saying and I love the fact that I can turn to my right and I only know those people through the kind of moth-eaten sweets they send along the row to, uh, on a weekend so we can yeah. all share them. Yeah, I, I only know the the guy for a nod and a, oh, how you do it? like I don't even know his name. And, but I know them because I've seen them over the years time and time again because we go through that ritual forming the habit. You get that habit, I guess, when you go to Premier League and you sit next to the same person in that standing, and you share that collective moment. Um, so I think I think those moments are still there to be had, and and football has been a great escape for many people during lockdown. But I do miss that. I do miss that. Just just going along and being disappointed. It's been brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and I have to I have to completely applaud what non-league clubs, in particular lowly clubs, have done during lockdown to try and get their game streamed you know we bought this um amazing camera that that went up in the stands the, the supporters paid for it the chairman got it but it, it was an automatic camera because again particularly normally you couldn't have a lot of people in the ground at all <laughs> and it was one of those ones that um the first the, game tracks the ball yeah like, automatically well yeah. in the first game there was a guy that didn't have much hair um, this is
2: brilliant. Have you heard on, of this? On, uh, no. So oh,
3: the, the assistant, I think, of the other yeah, the team of, of the opposition, every time he got out of the dugout and walked along, the, the <laughs> camera automatically thought his head was the ball. And so <laughs> it followed him.
2: That's seems
3: <laughs> But so I think, it, I mean, it wasn't written in our rules, but we I think we were asking everyone to wear a cap. <laughs> and then... <laughs> We had to do this thing where we put um, the balls, the spare balls, because we've got an athletics track. You know, yeah. you have to have a few spare balls for the multi-ball system. Under, we're having to put spare balls under um, under boxes so that it didn't track those. But I think oh, the no. worst one, we had two penalties in a game. And our keeper, whilst, the, whilst we were up taking a penalty up the other end, he'd run over to our dugout, maybe to get a drink of water or something. But he had white gloves on. So at the crucial minute when the guy's running up I to know. take the penalty, what straight <laughs> over the other side. But I mean, brilliantly, they got a little joystick and they're able to control it from the room they were in doing commentary. But, you know, these are all volunteers yeah. who are spending their weekends commentating, taking photos, just making sure that we sat at home can, can watch it. Yeah, it's it's the effort that they've all gone to to stay connected with their communities yeah. is, is amazing.
1: So when you started going, when would you? What years would you have started going to Chelmsford?
3: When I was born.
1: When you were born. Um,
3: so my my memories, I guess, are for sort of late eighties into the, but the nineties. So my my formative years.
1: And what were the kind of if you were going away? What were the non-league grounds like at that time? Like how how rough were those grounds?
3: i see i did i, I saw beauty everywhere yes of in course. them <laughs> did you ever go
1: to the one with the tree in the stand is that cambridge no it's the, St. still there St.
3: that the, yes but uh there's the the best one now is the wooden man in the stand at dartford there's an actual wooden man that holds the stand up oh, uh, which, right. is, which is brilliant and, <laughs> and, and that's that's what a council can do they built them great. anyway that's amazing um my my favorite grounds i used to go to gravesend and northfleet they were kind of who are now ebbsfleet they were our sort of big rivals anyone in kent you know there was always those those little songs that would go between them um, braintree would be our traditional rivals but we never really found ourselves in the same leagues until sort of recently but yeah the, the journeys to kent and i remember going to to gravesend and northfleet and and them announcing over the tannoy at half time that the must have been before the bridge was built, um, That the for those that don't know. So there's a bridge and two tunnels that connect Essex to Kent. Uh, but originally the bridge wasn't there. The Queen Elizabeth Bridge wasn't there. So it was just the tunnels. And something had happened. I think it might have been a bomb scare, actually. But both tunnels were closed. And all the Gravesend and North Leap fans just um, cheering for the fact that they <laughs> knew we'd have like an extra four hours to get home because we'd have to go all the way around London to get round, So those sort of things where you thought, oh, I think I actually think it's my birthday the next day. So it was fantastic because I got home into my birthday. So that was like an extra bit of magic. Kent, I used to love, um, yeah, welling those, those sort of, of games in, and, and the joy of being in the, as was the Beezer Homes league. It's funny, isn't it? Cause it's certain sponsorships stick, Like I think people will always remember it as the GM Vauxhall conference, Yeah, always even remember. though it's the national league now. And, but, th- but that sponsorship stuck, and I think when when it was the Beeser Homes League, some of those journeys—I say Crawley—used to love going to stuff that was around the M twenty five. You could go to and feel like, particularly when it was a, a week night, that you were being a little bit, you know, a little bit naughty because you'd be home late and have to go to school the next day. It's perfect.
1: And did you, were you say about sponsors? So there must have been some amazing level sponsors of the of the, of the teams at that stage, right?
3: You know, you know, those moments when you think you've made it, we absolutely thought we were going to be Premier League within two years with our biggest ever sponsorship. Red Bull, when it first came out, had a rival. Now, you may not know that. No, but, I didn't. Um, Chelmsford is famous for many things, not least the football club, but also Marconi, the birthplace of radio, was was in Chelmsford, but also Britvic, So a lot of your oh. J2Os, yeah. your soft drinks and the like, were brewed in Chelmsford. And they thought, we know what we'll do. Red Bull isn't going to fly. We'll bring out our own energy drink and call it Red Card. So for two seasons, I think for two seasons, we changed from our mighty claret to red. Oof. This is how much the sponsorship was worth. Oh, for us. my they word. unveiled it at Wembley. What? And Robbie Garvey, one of our greatest what? players, at Wembley in his red card shirt. I know. What do you mean they unveiled what, what Were
1: you in a final and they...
3: No, no, they hired Britvic or whoever oh, right. the PR company hired Wembley for the day just to take photos yeah. of our players in these red card shirts looking mean and moody with Wembley in the background. And if you, I'm not going to mention the newspaper, but there was a newspaper that, that printed adverts on the back. I think, I think we had a billboard outside across the road from Old Trafford and it was one of our players. I think it was Robbie Garvey or it might've been Tony, no, it would've been Robbie Garvey. Um, I'm thinking of Tony Rogers because he had the best song ever. Tony R, Tony R, he is a super striker and a bricklayer. Um but it wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's Robbie Garvey. Actually that's
1: something you don't think about is that what? all your players have got jobs, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that really helped us. I don't know if you've heard of Ricky Holmes, he's now at South End, but right. we've had a few players through the years who've gone on, but Ricky stayed with us for a long time and legend has it, it's because he was a trainee carpenter and he was earning more money playing once or twice a week with Chelmsford and being a carpenter than he would have made in league two, league one. Oh so you wow. So he's heard of that happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was double bubble with him because his dad also played uh Claret, the parrot, who was our mascot. So <laughs> <laughs> on a Saturday, his dad would come and watch Ricky in the parrot suit. And I don't know if it was Ricky. I don't know if his dad was a carpenter too, but he made him a, a, a giant sized wooden cage they yeah. used to come out of the parrot would come out oh, of wow. onto the pitch. Ricky's gone on and had a, a really good career, but but that kind of financial way up, absolutely. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at the national league now, you could be on telly every other week and still earn money elsewhere. Not so much now. Most of them are full time. Yeah, but but yeah, you could you could easily work two jobs.
1: I, when I was a kid, all the rugby players were. I wasn't into rugby, but all the famous rugby players had jobs because it was an amateur yeah. sport. And there was ones I can't remember who it was. They own like a sports shop or whatever. And I thought, God, they must do good business. Were <laughs> you ever like, I want to use, I just want to get some carpentry done, just to get, just Ricky to get Holmes my hero round. making yeah. me a make, making me a cabinet. You didn't, you didn't use no. any of them in a professional <laughs> no, capacity. I, didn't.
3: I do occasionally see back in the day when we could go to a pub or something, I'd see someone and clock them in town and think, I'm sure you didn't you. Weren't you Mitchell Spring it once? Didn't, I, <laughs> didn't
2: you used to be Mitchell didn't you used Spring?
3: Be the player formerly known as. <laughs> didn't you used to run into the box and run out again? <laughs> I remember that. But of course, they're all they're all heroes, and and that's the the, the beauty. You get to go up and drink in the bar. With, it's such a cliche, right? But you do. You you go and see them afterwards, and you talk to them. <laughs> I'm missing Spring it. Yeah, that they, they, they are they are all those. When you're a kid and you're seeing them do things on, yeah. on the pitch, and oh, yeah. scoring those last... Like, it doesn't matter, does it? Who Whoever they play for, they've just won the game for your side.
1: I can remember going home from Argyle after we'd... I think we'd beaten Gillingham or something. And I don't know what, how we got... We must have been delayed or something. And I remember going into the, the service station, not the service, the petrol station on the A38 back to Exeter. And in there... Was Mark Saunders, the Plymouth Argyle midfielder, went on to play for Gillingham? Um, I, I say as if that makes the story more exciting,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he was yeah, in there, top. and you don't know, like the mic. I don't. You get it anymore, like the microwaving of the pasty in a, in a garage. And he was, and it was about forty five minutes after full time. And I was just like, I can't believe he's in here. I was so <laughs> it's one of the most starstruck I've ever been.
3: I've done it I've done it
1: well, I don't know what I thought happened to the Plymouth Argyle players well, after a match I don't know what I thought they yeah. were like you know off down to kind of
2: the Show Club or whatever <laughs> It's one of my favourite things to do is when I'm at a service station if you see someone in a track suit and then you're like and then what I do if it's like Tranmere or whoever I'll then pl- figure out who they're playing and then plot the route they may have gone on <laughs> like, there's something so exciting about that isn't there
3: yeah Oh, we used to love trying to beat the bus. So when you'd be on an away game it was always that moment oh, are we going to see the team bus are we going to get there before them and oh. give them a little hoot and they were like there's some random oh. person waving at us and-,
1: and what kind of bus are Chelmsford City operating on when you're
3: a- oh it's really really decent but Can I just
1: say this might be the only podcast where the question what kind of bus do Chelmsford coach- City use no, I know <laughs> but I know
3: who it is the coaches oh I've forgotten but they supply like they supply a lot of coaches to football league teams in the area and also I think they used to supply the England coach so they would be it's the one sort of hello weekend when there'd be no football league teams playing is a bit like when you get the officials down too. there'd be no football league teams playing or championship te- teams, the Premier League wouldn't be playing. Um, whoever wouldn't be using the bus. And for some reason you'd be on the pools coupon. You'd be further up. You'd get a referee and the linesman who'd normally be yeah. you know, at, at the weekend in a championship game. They'd be down doing their local team and we would get the England bus Oh, so the wow. players would be on the England bus for that one weekend. The next weekend they would be back to the one you know where you have got to hover down over the toilet seat up <laughs> up the back on on the side and and try not for it to overspill. You got the All hand me down. All those sorts of things. It's yeah. basically got the
1: hand me down. Amazing. Let's go back to the red. So they they red card took over your kit. This must have been a big deal. Cha- changing your colours, right?
3: It was on Newsroom Southeast. You know. <laughs>
1: Did you pretend the
3: local telly? No. Because because when you're you're that level, you know it's only for a couple of years, you know it's gimmicky, but you know the money's gonna help the club. And we were going through all sorts of of bother at the time. And so it was a bit innovative. Wayne Hemingway from Red or Dead. Yeah, Wayne Hemingway. Yeah, that is right. So he was brought in to design it and he did this whole thing about I want it not to be, he said. Football shirts of the 90s feature like vomit over one shoulder and they're all a bit try too hard. So I'm going to go back to traditional. So it was red with red card on the front, really simple logo and a white collar that you could turn up so that you could look menacing. Robbie Garvey with his collar turned up on this billboard opposite Old Trafford. And I think the slogan next to it was along the lines of if Manchester United played at the bottom of my garden, I would draw the curtains, so that was kind of these billboards were up everywhere. They're on bus shelters, were all over the country. That
1: must have been amazing as a Chelmsford fan.
3: Well, they were, and that was top. They were done like top Trumps cards, so they were done like that. Robbie Garvey,
2: um, super Chelmsford City, uh, you know appearances, goals, etc. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at another one here. It says this big post: a red card gives Chelmsford City ex- extended energy, and the big caption is Alexander the Great conquered Europe at 25. Robbie Bird is twenty-four. <laughs> I mean,
3: <laughs> who's not running through a brick wall to get yourself some of that?
2: <laughs> did you drink it?
3: Why are you laughing?
1: <laughs> what happened to Robbie Bird?
3: He did all right, I think. Uh, yeah, he wasn't with us for long. I don't think he was with us that long. Um, but he—he he obviously got that moment. But is—is is he in the one that's featured with the? Because do you remember what was big at the time—the nasal strips?
1: The Robbie Fowler-style nasal
2: strips. Is he wearing strip? those? He's not, he's got he's, he's doing like a ravenelli in the picture. He's got his oh, shirt got pulled his shirt up over his up. Right,
3: head. Right, right. Well, because they also did red card branded nasal strips that they all wore for the uh, for the photo shoot as well, which was quite the thing. They've probably still got a year's supply of those somewhere. So yeah, well, you know, it was a big deal. It was a
2: big deal. There's a whole website dedicated to this advertising campaign, and there's lots of different aspects to it. So one of them what they've done are kind of top trumps, like red card top trumps, where they've yeah. taken out Whole page advertisements in the Sun, and one of them features like a, it's like a player card, but it's of the vice chairman, and it says age seventy three, position vice chairman, heroes and idols Stan Cullis, Jimmy Mullin, and then it says dream babe Pamela Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, what really, a what a good snapshot of the times.
3: I I don't think he wrote that himself.
1: Do you know don't the vice think he chairman did. at that point? Uh,
3: uh, uh, I would have I would have met him.
1: Don um, Walker.
3: Yeah, Don. Yeah, we've got the Don Walker lounge now at our new ground. Um, yeah. He's, I don't think he would have written that. <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, maybe if he'd had his way, he wouldn't have been in that particular paper either. But, yes. I think, you know, it's, they took they took the money. And do you know what? Having said, having said all that about, uh, I said before about being sustainable, if someone turned around to me tomorrow and said, right, I have got 50 million quid. I'm going to plough into Chelmsford. You're going to have, 10 seasons where you get right to the top and then you're going to go pop um, but you still have your ground and you can start a game from the Essex Senior League do you know I probably would take that I would probably take that
1: what's the furthest you've seen them go in the FA Cup
3: beaten by Wickham in the first round bit Colchester second that's yeah that's as far that's as far as we've gone <laughs> flattered to see. why are you laughing eh? but,
2: uh, you know 52
3: but, uh, odd rounds are done before you big, big times come in <laughs>
2: Oh, is that what happens? We
3: started this year's <laughs> FA Cup four years ago. That's what
2: happened. <laughs> I thought it was weird that the FA Cup started in the third round. That <laughs> yeah. makes a lot of sense. Ch- was yeah, it amazing, though, that
1: the, 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 Chel- what, the Chelmsford City, that must have been like the most coverage Chelmsford City have had in your lifetime, right? At no...
3: uh, Jimmy Greaves played for us for a bit.
1: Jimmy Greaves, 1976-77.
3: Yeah, Alan Brazil. Um, who else did we have? No, you're right. I mean, I think uh, the biggest transfer fee I've seen us us mate was about fifty grand. Um yeah, it didn't it didn't really happen. We had a little bit, a little bit of um publicity when Dean Holdsworth came to be our manager for a bit, but he completely tanked and stunk the place out. <laughs> so uh, Paul Parker, like I said, we had Manchester United down, but he brought a man or a Manchester United team came down, but I think Mark Bosnich was the only one, and I think Mark Bosnich was going through a difficult period at, at the time, so I don't think that was a particularly good team that we yeah. had so you know we've we've had managers and, and players over the the years but it's not about that right is it no that, i that, don't that, think it that, is that, no i think tony R. Bricklayer, i think he probably that was the most money we ever paid for someone and that was only that was what nine or ten grand that wasn't a lot of money so, so either, when you're so. on the board mm.
1: uh, so when you're a you're a direct for nine, three, two or three years What's that yeah. like as an experience? So are you, is it a constant worries about finances? How much can you separate being a fan from being on the board, if you know what I mean? Because it's horrible.
3: Yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Because, you know, you know the, the club was in some right old sticky mess around mm. about that time, and I'd managed to attract uh, a fair bit of money, but they wanted me involved in it to make sure that the money went to, um starting youth teams and, and and making sure the community setup was there so yeah. so went in the right right direction and you think it's going to be great right you know who they're signing for anyone else does yeah you know who the new manager's going to be you know all those but you can't tell anyone so yeah. you tell yourself that we've got x y and z coming in and, and quite frankly you might be the only one interested in the fact <laughs> that you get x y and I, I long to tell my dad and then I could see whether, oh, this isn't going right. That's going. And I'm thinking, I can't fix it for you. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm trying to do these things, but there's there's a whole board. And we were one of the first clubs to have supporters involved. When we went to the wall, I remember standing and watching grown men crying um, at their football club going under and feeling like I couldn't do anything. And actually that was when I first first thought I want to get into radio because Jonathan Overend, who's now at Five Live, was at BBC Essex at the time. And he stood up at a supporters meeting and chaired it with everyone not knowing what was going to happen and and seeing our ground being sold from underneath us and the high court. And so it, who it was it the going, ground sold to? Uh, let's not get into that, but it went for very little money via the receivers. And uh, I think it had a a little bit of a covenant on it that had to be used for a sporting facility. And there's a gym on it now. There's a gym on it now. So to see that all happen at, at that stage, and I thought, I want to really be able to help this football club and do something when I had a bit of money and was able to put a bit of money into it. And and yeah, you find all this stuff out that you just don't want to know about. And then yeah. it just ruins it for you. It ruins you watching it because you know what's going on behind the scenes. I
1: think that's the same with anything. When you get involved, it loses its magic, right?
3: Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: I don't watch comedy on TV because that's now my job. And that's what I yeah. think about. Do you know what I mean? And it, you can't watch it without... And so I think it must be the same to get involved in a football club. It suddenly completely changes your relationship with it, right?
3: Yeah, and the only thing I knew is that 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 money went in did help them during that period and stop them from from real tricky times. But yeah. my arguments always were that the club needed a complete clean slate and needed you know we had huge amounts of debt just hanging around our necks and you could never really escape that. Um, there's new ownership in now. And I'm a little bit regretful that it's kind of out of the the hands of the the fans and the supporters. But there are still supporters involved, There's still good people involved at the club. And I think the the new owners want to see things done right, and, and want to see things in the community happen, and and all those foundations built underneath it. But yeah, the, you get the kid in the sweet shop bit. You, you you know the signings before anyone else, but you also know what's gone into signing them and and how difficult things are. And yeah, I'd, I'd rather still have my season ticket, sponsor yeah. players. Do do all of that and and go to the game and enjoy it without knowing the sort of heartache that's going yeah. on behind it. Really,
2: I, I hear I hear, really hear what you're saying. It's funny peeking behind the curtain. One of the things that surprised me is that being involved, you always think your club's got a grand plan, and when you don't when you don't know what's happening, you fill in the blanks with professionalism. You think, well, there's got to be there's a plan here. The people know what they're doing, and then when you peek behind, like it's proper Wizard of Oz when you peek behind the curtain and go, oh my god! <laughs> and So actually. It's great to have that level of access on one hand, but on the other hand, you're like, oh, I know too much.
3: Yeah, but not, yeah. non-league is is built on people standing up and sleepless nights and looking after their clubs. And, and that's why they're such communities and that's why it's invaluable. That's why the pyramid system works. So you do need those people to do it. But uh, th- there's various reasons why people get involved in football clubs. I just wish they'd be honest sometimes. Some people do it because they want to have that badge on their chest. And know everything for everyone else. Some people do it because they want to bring their mates along at a weekend and say, "Oh, look, here's the football club I own." Other people want to get in it for the for the wrong reasons. And sure, just be just be open about why you why you're involved in it.
1: If Chelmsford went into the football league, mm. would you still consider yourself a fan of non-league? Would you miss it, or do you think you'd adapt and become a terrible lower league football fan?
3: I used to love doing it. We started a little show, non-league football show on BBC London many, many years ago. And that kept going and went to five live and it's still going now, but Tim and Dave that, that do it. And I met so many wonderful human beings in that time and clubs that I got attached to and still talk to and players that have gone up and through and chairman and football clubs that have gone up and through. There is no greater structure. I mean, some may argue about the justice system in this country um, some may argue about our education system. But you take the football pyramid, right? What can you not learn being part of a football club or following football club within that pyramid? There's so many things that you find out in those formative years that you take with you. I wouldn't know about In Your Face Martin or Slippers Dave. You know, I wouldn't know about these these brilliant characters that I've met, apart from through non-league football, and I owe everything career-wise, absolutely, to, to non-league football. So oh, I'd still be there. I'd still be there.
1: That is a great question to end on. But we do have an end question that Chris always asks.
2: Yeah, if you, if we gave you the option of going back to the 1st of January, 1990 and doing it all again, reliving the whole 90s with Chelmsford, where you sat on that bar with your lemonade, would you go back and want to do it again? Of
3: course I would. Of course I would. There is there is no better feeling than being, being at the football with your family and your friends. And and that is what non-league football gave me and continues to give me. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: Caroline Barker, thank you very much.
3: My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
1: That was the amazing Caroline Barker. Um, Do support your lower league teams. Don't be like Michael and Chris. I'm thinking of going to see Clapton FC, actually. I'm quite excited about that.
0: Oh, but yeah. I might come along with Tom Crane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'll fun. That will yeah.
1: be There you go. Chris keeping very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> do you see them as local rivals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't come. Yeah. Stay off our patch. Now, we normally end with um, a game of um, starting 11, but we've been sent a different game this week by Daniel McRae. If you've got any games you'd like us to end with, football 90s games, obviously, then um, do send them in. Hi, gents. When sorting out a game amongst friends to keep the upcoming season interesting, we realised it could easily be a retrofied for endless amounts of fun. The simple premise is 90s football blackjack. The setup pick a league campaign from the 90s. Pick four players you think scored a total of 21 league goals that season. The rules all players have to have scored. If any of your players didn't score, you're bust. If your four players' cumulative total is over 21, you're bust closest to oh, 21 okay. wins
0: okay okay are we picking four ahead of time or is it like blackjack where we sort of pick two and we can choose to stick or twist
1: no you can't you've got to do four players because otherwise it's easy because you can pick someone who'd score about an 18 19 goals quite easily. okay yeah okay but you've got to pick four players but first i want you to pick two and then i'll let your number you're on inform your next choices that? okay yeah so
2: every player you select has to have scored And the sum total can't be more than... uh, 21. Yes, it's a great game. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pick the season. So I'm going to pick
1: the 95-96 season. And I'm going to go with the Premier League goals these players scored. That is, um, the 95-96 is the Newcastle Manchester United title race season. The season before Euro 96. Just to inform you of the kind of players that were playing okay can I have your two players
2: please Chris your initial two players I'm going to go Stuart Pearce because I think he's going to be on pens yep uh, and I will go uh, like Lee Chapman is it the town of his career he's going to get probably like three goals or something okay
0: Michael uh, I'm going to go with Steve Bruce Yeah, I'm going to go David Beckham okay
1: so Stuart Pearce age 33 yep Scored three Premier League goals for Nottingham Forest. So great. That's three.
2: Great, 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 Okay,
1: Lee Chapman. Do you want to tell me who he played for in ninety five, ninety six? Is it Leeds? Now he's playing for Ipswich Town. You are Ooh. very lucky if you get away with this one, Skull. <laughs> he didn't score.
2: Oh, Skull's Lee gone Chapman bust. He oh. was at Leeds, though. He was at Leeds. He's right at the tail end of his career, though. I thought he was maybe getting a couple of goals.
1: Right. So, Michael. Yeah. We're going to use this as a chance to set the top score in blackjack. And we'll play it again. Okay. Okay. So, Steve Bruce. Yeah. Scored one goal.
0: Oh. I thought he'd have got more than that.
1: And who's the other? David Beckham. Scored seven. So, you're on eight. You're on eight. So, you've got two more players. Okay. You're going to stick with Manu. Um. Yeah.
0: I'm going to say Paul goals.
1: Okay, he wasn't in the most 11 used players. He played 26 Premier League matches and he scored 10 goals, taking up to 18. So you've now got to get one player who scored between one and three goals. Okay, 95-96 season. Oh, so you might send yourself bust here. This is a great game. Oh, though. This is stressful. <laughs> Would it take the pressure off if I told you Peter Schmeichel's middle name is Bolslaw, like
0: Coleslaw but with a B? <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. So you said that was the that was the Newcastle United famous title race, yeah? Which I'm pretty sure was the season that Philippe Albert chipped Peter Schmeichel uh, of Bolslaw fame. I can't see him scoring more than one or two, so I'm going to say Philippe Albert. So, you're on 18 points. I should tell you now
1: that Philippe Albert, I think he chipped Peter Schmeichel the following season, didn't he? Oh. However, that is neither here nor there. played 19 games from centre back and he scored four goals. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> off! <laughs> Are you joking? No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no! Are you kidding me? bust on 22. What a scoring Fast. record for centre back that is. In how many games? 19 games. In 19 games and four substitute appearances. We'll play another game of that in the next episode. I'll look forward to that. It's a good game, isn't it?
0: That's fun, yeah. Yeah, it's a great
1: game. 90s football blackjack. We'll play that. Thank you very much to um, Daniel McCrae for providing us with that. Well, neither of you get to... I suppose we should just silently end the show.
0: Well, no, I think <laughs> uh, it's the house wins. So as you and the house, house wins. this week, you get to
2: pick. Um Head Over Heels in Love from 1979 by Kevin Keegan, please. Get over to patreon.com forward slash Kevin. if you want a load of bonus content, including two episodes of Steve Bruce's Striker, two chapters of that with Ivo Graham coming out this month, as well as extended episodes from everything in this series. We will see you very soon. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later.
0: You make me a stranger That's what time can do There's no danger. With all that we've been through, that anyone could love you more than me. I got you.